0: Hey guys, and welcome to the 10th underrated minisode. I'm your host, Gabriel Green, and I'm here with my co-host, James Hamrick. The Craglin to my Yandu, or, or are you Taserface?
1: I don't know, but probably not Taserface, because that name is stupid.
0: <laughs> what? I thought it was pretty cool.
1: <laughs> it's metaphorical!
0: <laughs> how are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing well, how are you?
0: Uh, the whole world's a bit sadder, but otherwise, I'm doing fairly well. Yeah. Yeah, so... I'm this week has been, like, insanely crazy for me. I was, just, like, helping film a conference and then working two night shifts and saw this movie twice all over the weekend. So we're not going to be able to release a normal episode this week. So it'll only be uh, our Guardians of the Galaxy 2 review.
1: I was kind of relieved, though, when you told me that, because this is finals week for me. So whenever you said, man, I, I'm going to have to push that episode back, I kind of, I don't know, sighed a, a sigh of relief.
0: I, I think I almost want to watch it. Uh, the man from Uncle again before we even record because it's just so much fun.
1: It's, I mean, honestly, I may do the same and really be able to enjoy it with like all worries behind me. Just sit back and watch it. It'll be fun. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, so we do these mini-sodes uh, to give us a chance to talk about films that don't necessarily fit into our kind of underrated mold, like new releases like this. Uh, and today we are talking about, as we said, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And uh, let's just dive right into it. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 was written and directed by James Gunn on a budget of $200 million. And so far, it's really been making bank at the box office. Um, I won't be surprised if it passes the uh, billion-dollar mark eventually. It stars Chris Pratt, Zoe Zaldana, Dave Bautista, Bradley Cooper, Michael Rooker, Kurt Russell, Karen Gillian, Vin Diesel, Sean Gunn, and Sylvester Stallone. And it was shot by Henry Bram, and the score was once again composed by uh, Gunn's go-to Tyler Bates um so I'm assuming like me that this was uh, one of your most anticipated films this year
1: oh absolutely uh I love Guardians of the Galaxy 1 it was such a a breath of fresh air it seems like every time people start like discussing uh superhero fatigue a movie like Guardians comes out and just makes Mm -hmm. that notion seem silly because there's there's still so much fun to be had with these movies
0: yeah, yeah, I, mean, I I just I I saw it four times in theaters and I hadn't seen it till I rewatched it just now in preparation for 2. And it it completely holds up. It's such a beautiful little movie. Um which brings us to Volume 2. And what did you think? Did it hold up to your expectations?
1: No. It I <laughs> I mean, obviously there there are a lot of caveats I could add. It's part of it is to do with just how how much I really loved the first one, um but even with that aside, I just had a lot of weird issues with the humor and with a lot of the technical aspects and stuff, just structure and I don't know i I just it was. It just felt really weird. There were so I just was scratching my head from start to finish, wondering what they were trying to do. But I guess we'll get to get into that in the main conversation. But overall, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I was a little disappointed.
0: Yeah, and it it was the same for me. And I, I definitely don't want this show to turn into a a hate fest, which is why I've always, I've always made a point, even when I didn't like a film on here, to go with what I liked. So, And overall, I did like this film more than I disliked it, but um, as you said, in comparison with how truly great the first one is, it does pale quite a bit. So uh, I guess just to start off on a positive note, what were the things that you did like?
1: They they took characters from the first one to me that were just kind of, well, two specifically, uh, with Yondu and Nebula, who were kind of there and they did what they needed to do in the first one. But they really brought them to the forefront as characters in this. And I think that Karen Gillan and Michael Rooker were both really fantastic in their roles. And oddly enough, I think they were my two favorite characters of the whole movie. I just, I really like the emphasis that the movie put on on their personal stories. Even though it felt disconnected, I think, from the main story. Just mm-hmm. judging them as, as characters and the performances, I really enjoyed those two characters a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've noticed online that me and you are definitely in the minority, and people seem to be really enjoying this movie, and I, I don't begrudge them that. And I, I think I think what's happening is people are are connecting with those characters, I mean, because one thing that was uh, continually coming to my mind as I was watching this film was uh, uh, the thing John Sweden said when he was asked how he's going to top um, the Avengers with, with Age of Ultron, and he said the key is you don't go bigger, you go deeper. And I think Gunn was really taking that notion to heart when he wrote this film. You can you can tell that he obviously really cares about these characters and he did put a lot of work to try and give each and every one something to do a meaningful and some kind of meaningful arc. And while I don't have I don't I don't think all of it was successful and I think there's some story, a lot of structural issues that hamper that. I definitely do applaud that he at least he tried to Make these characters meaningful, make their interactions meaningful and to and to um as i as I said go deeper into these people and and I'll get more into each and every one of them later on but uh that was uh, something that I really appreciated, and I think what makes this film at, at the very least work um and not and not be terrible
1: <laughs> yeah it's kind of hard to hate something when the director is clearly so passionate about the characters. Uh, and I certainly don't hate it. i like you. I I do like it more than I dislike it. And a big reason is just because they're clearly passionate about this material.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think actually I might want to leave, leave this on a positive note. So what, what if we kind of got into our dislikes, at, uh, at, at the, in the first half, and then we can uh, kind of come out on what we liked about it more. Um, so I'm just going to go into my biggest issue with this film. And that is its narrative is it ranges from like incredibly messy and just bizarre and and like uh, random to like almost non-existent for large swaths of time. Um, this is going to be a uh, I don't think we spoiled anything, but um, <laughs> this is going to be a spoiler filled up uh, review. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Um, so they st- open up the film they're with the sovereign. They're uh, doing this freelance job, and then they leave, and then they're chased by the sovereign. And then Quill's dad shows up, and then they kind of. Then the plot basically stops, and they go with his his dad to this planet, and they spend like an hour there, just sitting around chatting. Uh, <laughs> and I I was literally sitting in my, on my first viewing. I've seen it twice, just. Wondering, okay, where's this going? Is there, is, does this film even have a plot? And I think the answer is no. <laughs> kind
1: of. Yeah, I, I felt pretty much the exact same way. And I remember being surprised and, you know, once, well, not really surprised, but just kind of confused whenever the climax happens. It just feels like it's, I, I, was, I was thinking, what, what happened that led up to this moment? Like, we've we've been on this planet for, like, an hour. And, I mean, obviously, the movie hints at something being off. But it's literally, as opposed to just kind of, like, slowly revealing through different, you know, discussions and lines of dialogue building up to this moment, it literally just feels like an hour's worth of random scenes and then a climax. That's what the whole movie yeah. feels like to me. Yeah. It's literally just a a bunch of different scenes which feature different emotional moments of different people and then a climax you could have started the movie like the whole everything prior to getting on the planet is irrelevant to the climax and i guess the climax is the plot if the plot had to be described it's you know i guess peter learning who his father is and having to stop him so you could have started like the movie could have been 20 minutes longer and you could have found out the 20 minutes before there their trial or you could have cut it off or you could have cut off like the first half hour and started it there because it's, it's not a plot that has a, a very beginning and a very end. It's the whole movie is just about this climax and everything beforehand. Really? There's no reason it belongs in the movie.
0: Yeah. I find it interesting that this film comes right after the Scorch trials where we spent a lot of time talking about a tight focused narrative with meaningful cause and effect that all of it leads toward like an inevitable conclusion. And maybe I I guess a lot of people don't need that in filmmaking. I don't know (laughs) for me that this, the story and the, how you get there is just as important as, as the, the themes and what, and what else they're saying. So, and it's, it's not just that the plot isn't there. It's that the, 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 uh, There are various subplots. There's a subplot of Rocket. He stays with a ship. He gets kidnapped by uh, the Ravagers. And there's a mutiny. Then they kill everybody, (laughs) all the pirates. And then they they come back. And then there's uh, the subplot of um, Nebula and Gamora trying to resolve their very dysfunctional family. And both of those arcs, I think, are good quality character arcs. The thing is, not, they they have no connection to the other parts of the story neither from a, a story perspective or a character perspective for example rocket it, everything that happens with rocket and yandu does not influence the story the main story of quill and his father in the slightest they literally he literally could have um just fixed the ship and then found yandu and then just flown to, straight to up uh, to ego's planet and nothing would have changed as far as this central narrative and the same thing with gamora she literally goes off into the, into the middle of the wilderness fights nebula reconciles and comes back and that doesn't change the the central narrative at all either just these subplots are entirely disconnected not and then they're also disconnected thematically because rockets um arc rockets arc alongside yandu well, I think I, I, I really liked it. It, do, it never comes back to influence the group dynamic. His change of heart does not influence that climax at all. And not only that, we don't even know if he's actually, his heart's actually changed. All we know is that Yandu yelled at him and then it's kind of dropped from there. And then um, Gamora, her family dynamic, and her personal interrelations with uh, Nebula also has zero effect on the climax. It's not like them, through somehow kind of teamwork, finally can defeat Ego or anything. It just happens. It's just just something that happens in a completely random side-off from the plot. And I guess to contrast that with the original, not the original, the first one, it had such a beautifully tight plot, where literally the first scene introduces Quill's arc, Second scene introduces the, the plot, the, uh, the MacGuffin and the uh, central storyline. And literally, as each character comes in, they all have their own arcs, but each and every one of those arcs is intricately connected to the main plot. It happens sometime. It, it, they're caused by events that happen along the central plot, and all of their changes intimately reflect off of Each other, all the other characters' arcs, and it just kind of flows together and intertwines till the climax, which was which had been the central plot from the beginning. This one, there's no connection between either the plots or the character arcs. I've I've been talking a lot. (laughs) What do you
1: think? Well, I mean, I agree with pretty much everything you said. You know, look with with the first one, you take out any of the characters' arcs, and the movie suffers for it because, like you said, it's super interconnected. Characters are introduced as they needed to be introduced. And everybody has a goal, and it's you know it's it is it is just a very tight and focused narrative. Whereas in this, you could delete like Gamora as a character can be deleted from this movie, and with a few reword like a few little tweaks of the script, the movie doesn't change at all. Rocket mm-hmm. dealing with his anger or whatever, whatever like they were really trying to do with this arc a few tweaks to the script and the movie stays the same. It was just and and like you said with the whole the space mutiny going on that felt like just this this separate movie that was just happening. It felt like this sing what Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 just felt like a mashup of like four different movies that are all like okay, but all kind of shortchanged because they all could have been had, they cut they could have all had a lot more focus put on him, but because it just tried to overstuff the movie with so many different side plots, not one of them truly had to me what felt like a genuine solid start to finish like mm-hmm. I liked a lot of the stuff with rocket, but to me, the way they set up the way in my opinion the way they set up his arc felt weird with Peter first leaving the The spaceship and he was like are you just are you just trying to make everyone mad at you because it's working he was still he just he was just being rocket to me that line was only said so that we understand that like oh rocket is about to go on an emotional journey and and he and then his arc like essentially reaches its climax when yondu yells at him and says you know i know about or i know you because i am you boy which is a great scene but that's like that's the end of his whole arc and then, like you said, he shows up to the climax feeling just like Rocket Raccoon, the same character we've known. His, yeah. he, we can really jack up our
0: prices for two-time galaxy saving, yeah, which is like, the same character as he was before.
1: Yeah, so this whole emotional journey that he's had, this whole supposed growth as a character, it felt like it was only in there because maybe he was trying to take that advice, you know, like, don't go bigger, go deeper. So he's like, okay, well, I'm going to dive deep. But at the same time, like everybody loves the wisecracking rocket. So even after all of that, he doesn't write him any differently in the climax. And Rocket, if if there was a change of heart, it doesn't affect the climax. It doesn't affect the story. And the same with uh, Gamora and Nebula. uh, Nebula might have actually been my favorite character the whole movie. I really like Karen Gillan in the role. And I just think the way she carries herself is really cool. But this whole... I mean, we... We don't. She doesn't really feel like she's in a different place. She's reconciled with Gamora, which I like is a meaningful change of character. Um, but I don't know. It, it, I don't really feel like she's in. Aside from a relationship with Gamora, she's not really in a different place. And it certainly, their reconciliation certainly doesn't affect, like you said, this climax. That I don't know. The whole reason the climax is about Star Lord and his dad. Is because he's like the lead character, but to me his his arc didn't feel any more important than anyone else's. It was just, it was all like all all of the guardians had their story arc, and James Gunn decided that Peter's was going to be the main one, so his climax was going to be the climax of the movie, and everyone else is going to show up for that. It just I don't know. It's it just felt so weirdly put together.
0: I'm gonna give a bit of slight pushback there. I. I do think, um, actually, okay. I think this film does a something that I really love in sequels, where it continues the art. It doesn't just like start off and give the characters all brand new problems that weren't set up in the previous film to deal with. Each one of their 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 the issues they have to deal with, each each one of the journeys they have to go through is continued from the first film. It's Quill. It's with his issues with his parents, which he which were clearly set up in the first film. Um. Gamora, her her crazy, whacked up family, and Rocket, his anger issues, his inability to trust and connect with others all of, all of that was kind of that was um that was an element in the first film that he's merely taking them on the next step of their journey. The world's not at stake now; they can conquer their character flaws. I I like how that was done, and I thought I I did think Rocket's uh uh. Uh, arc felt very natural i mean they really didn't have time in the first film to have sit down and have a heart to heart with them so now that i think that now they're a family and a team his self uh destructive tendencies would as we see cause a lot of problems for them like stealing batteries from a uh civilization that wants to kill you it's just it's stupid but i could see why he, i need mean, that guy's eye would then do this something dumb like this he's he's he is—he's an idiot like that. He does—he just—he does stupid things for the sake of doing it. So, I thought that felt completely natural. My problem with it is, though, it, as you said, it was never resolved. Yandu yells at him, then we never have anything else from him again of, of like actual character importance. So, I like how it, I like how it's set up, unlike you. But I, I also agree—I don't like how it's resolved, though.
1: Yeah, I think I would have been more forgiving the way it's set up if. If the team, he and Yondu were like apart from the group for so long that it 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 doesn't really feel. I would have liked to have seen them as a group dynamic a little bit more before we split up and set him on this emotional or er, story arc. But to me, like it, it feels disconnected from the first and disconnected from this. Like mm-hmm. he's having his own little side adventure. And if he were with the rest of the group, and he's having to learn how to how to grow, because if his problem is he he doesn't work well with others, and he he it's hard for him to not anger other people, then you cut him off from the group. That's not how I don't know. It just it didn't feel like that's how he he didn't learn anything. Yeah. Like what did Yondu yelling at him really do? And how did how did getting Peter mad at him at the very beginning. Set that up in the first place. I don't know. It just it felt really.
0: I th- I think he's he's now found a family, but will his self destructive and just cynical tendencies take all that away from him again? I think I I think that's a compelling arc.
1: I think that arc is compelling. It's just I I don't feel like the arc we got in the movie is. I don't think that's entirely accurate of at least what I saw in the movie.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and speaking of the separation, uh, let's talk about Yandu. I mean, I mean, first off, I love Yandu. Uh, just from f- the first film, a lot of people didn't care for him, but I, I, w- I was like completely blown away by Michael Rooker and just this crazy redneck pi- space pirate who likes little doilies for his uh his captain seat, and he was just so much fun with his arrow and just how how little he cared about anything around him, um. So I like where they took him. And this film is basically like Daddy Issues, the movie, all of them, like from Nebula and Gamora to Quill to him. Everyone's dealing with Daddy Issues. And I like that they kind of retconned uh, his kidnapping of Quill and small events from the first film to make Yondu kind of a surrogate father figure for Quill. Since the main, I guess, the A plot of this film is... Quill's quest for his father. Um, my problem with that, though, is actually my problem with the whole Yandu stuff is twofold. First and biggest is that Quill doesn't see Yandu till the last 10 minutes of this film. They are not together at all till the last, okay, probably about 20 minutes actually. But they literally only come together uh, at the end of the climax, and then Yandu dies. And the dying part also pissed me off, <laughs> but the fact that they weren't together and that also Yandu never confronts Ego. Did you notice that? He never confronts Ego as, as Quill's father figure. Shouldn't he come and confront his false father figure? I mean, like, just the dramatic potential is all there, but it just seems so kind of muddled that they never brought that that arc could have been so much better if they had first had some time together. I did love their scene when as soon as they get back together they immediately just start bickering, just like that's what you told me, you old doofus. It's just they, they had a really great dynamic. And But the thing with film is that you when you're telling a story, you need to give time and you need to give build up to things. You can't just have a scene that's really dramatic out of the blue and then expect us to deeply care about it. We need to have, be, we need to be kind of warmed up to it. And I think an- another issue is in the, the beginning of Yandu's arc, which is another daddy issues thing where he's struggling with his being uh, banished from the Ravagers, Um, I dislike that beginning scene so much because first off, up until th- it's a, incredibly dramatic scene where they come and they banish him. It's like really sad. Like, Oh, you broke all our hearts. you these, these things will never happen at your funeral. And you're, you're a disgrace to all of us. That's an emo- a really emotional scene, except for the fact that literally one minute ago, I had no idea there were any other Ravagers in the entire universe besides Yandu. I didn't know there were other Ravagers. I didn't know they had a code. I didn't know that Yandu was their adopt was kind of their adopted child. I don't know what these lights about funerals are. I don't know what any, this entire context of this conversation is completely new to me, yet they want it to be a really dramatic scene, but they've never done, they haven't done the groundwork. That scene should have come like at least a half hour in where they've had some natural exposition and then, and then lead into that scene because otherwise it's just like, it's just all this information being thrown at me and you're expecting it to be dramatic when nothing, when none of that information existed beforehand
1: yeah they it's like they had ideas as to where they wanted all of these arcs to end but they didn't know how to how to set any of them up and so they just they wrote these beginning scenes with the intention that we're all going to instantly care and i mean it like you said it seems like most people are really enjoying this movie so evidently just a lot of people did end up caring but for me I was in the same boat. These other ravengers are, like, introduced. I didn't know they existed. And when he's saying, you you broke all of our hearts, first of all... Who are you? I, yeah, first of all, who who are you? And then, I liked Yondu from the first one, but I wasn't really emotionally invested in him. So seeing, like, this guy say all these things to Yondu... To, i like, okay, he was the pseudo-antagonist of the last movie up until a certain point. Like, I... I, I liked him, and I liked Michael Rooker, but
0: last time he was threatening Quill's life. That was like his last moment with our heroes.
1: Yeah. So it to me, it's to to take this guy who is like the a, a partial antagonist of the last film and start off this way as if we're supposed to be like, oh man, yawn. It's like, so wait now now the movie is asking me to root for him as if he's the the good guy now, but you haven't given me a reason prior to this scene to see him as the good guy, so that I should be on it. On his side and feeling sympathetic for him in this conversation, and then like you, I had big issues with the way they handled uh, the whole father-son dynamic with uh, Peter, because I like I think the idea of him being like this adopted father who's just can been kind of rough like who's been soft on him softer than anyone else, and no one really kind of knows why, but it's because he kind of looks at him as this son. It's it's a it's great for story. But it does. There's no build up to that to that climax in the death scene, like to their reunion. There would, going into this movie, we didn't even have a hint of of like this idea that there there's some sort of father son connection with them, and we continue to not have that hint. We know like oh he he broke the code by taking a kid, but it's never hinted that that was because he particularly liked Peter. Where we find out at a certain point that he considered him a son and then he dies and then you i i remember in the scene where they're giving him his little funeral and peter's crying and he said you know i guess i did have a pretty cool dad it was a well-done scene chris pratt was acting really well but i wasn't feeling anything and i was like why is this not working for me and that's just because it 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 didn't earn it the movie did not earn this scene peter hasn't seen him since the first one and when he says, you know, I guess I did have a pretty cool dad. I'm thinking he tried to kill you in the last <laughs> movie. Prior to this final reunion scene, there's been no attempt from James Gunn to make me feel like this this scene should happen. I don't it just like I said, it felt like he had ideas for all of these characters, but he just didn't know how to start it all off, right? He knew where he wanted to, he knew where he wanted to end them. Well, I guess in some cases he knew how he wanted to start them, but he didn't know how to end them. And then in others, he knew how he wanted to end them, but he didn't really start them right. And it all <laughs> kind of came together for a mess.
0: Yeah. Um, and about that, the the funeral scene, um, that brings up another issue I with this film, which is that this film is like Rocket. Every single time it has a chance to be, to open its heart up and have some humanity it has to brush it off with a joke, and to make some kind of cynical wisecrack. That 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 funeral scene, for example, that could have been a powerful scene. Instead, it goes off in these weird tangents about about David Hasselhoff and how it's like they're turning deep tragedy into this farce for no no real reason. Um, and the the humor in general in this film. There are a lot of really good laughs. This is a very funny film. And a lot of it is great humor. Unfortunately, about a third of it doesn't work and falls flat. And not only does a lot of it fall flat, they beat a lot of these jokes completely to death. There are some jokes that could go on and on and on and on and then come back again that just weren't terribly funny to begin with. And they just pound it into the ground over and over again. Just stopping the entire film for like several minutes at a time for certain jokes that just don't work it's it's really sloppy,
1: yeah, so to comment about both of those things, the first one, I was really frustrated that this movie would not allow itself to play out any sort of drama or any sort of tension. I can't think of any scene that wasn't undermined by an attempt at humor. it's like they just thought well. People this is Guardians 2, people expect it to be funny. So we'll try to get our drama in, but then we gotta throw in a line. Like when when Nebula discusses, you know, her relationship with Gamora as a child, like every time I lost, you know, he would replace a part of me again and again and again. And it's like wow, you know, we didn't know this about her as a character before. We we the movie the first one just painted her as the villain, so like making her more sympathetic in that scene. I was like, this is crazy. And then he's just like, "Oh, I was thinking more of a necklace." And like, I, <laughs> I,
0: I thought that, I thought that worked. <laughs>
1: I, for me, just because that's I, what
0: that's what Cracklin's character is, though.
1: It's what his <laughs> character is, but I just don't think that the movie needed what his character was at that moment, <laughs> because it it was a great dramatic moment for her character, and then just like, so all
0: the girls could look at it and go,
1: <laughs> "See, he he was funny in it," but I just it it came at the expense of the drama because now we're moving into the next scene laughing instead of thinking about what actually happened mm-hmm. like our our mindset moving in from that the transition of that scene into the next scene that the movie's showing us we're thinking about this funny comedic beat that we just saw we're not thinking about the information that the movie just gave us about this character and so to me it it undermined what the movie was trying to tell us about her character because it shifted the focus from that to like the punchline or the exclamation point of that scene, which was this little bit with Craig. It's just, I I don't think it was needed. And then just about the jokes that just kept going on and on, like taser face taser. See, with almost every single Mm -hmm. piece of humor that I thought was like that I thought went on too long. There's part of it that I found funny. Like every, every moment of this movie that I thought was dragged on too long to me, you could easily edit it to be a really great funny moment, but the movie didn't know when to let it stop. Like with the Taserface, it was, it was there. There were funny moments initially, but then, especially at the very end, he's like, "Tell him that he met his match by Taserface," and she laughed. Like there was no real reason for that, other to just have one more person laugh at Taserface. Sure, Taserface, it's kind of a funny name, but the movie treated that like. This is the funniest thing ever. If, if like we have another opportunity to bring up Taserface, we're going to take it because this is comedic gold.
0: And make the first scene go on for like two minutes.
1: Yeah. Like this, just this back and forth. That's, It's kind of funny, but it's not warranting the attention you're giving it. And then with baby Groot, like him saying, like asking him to go get his headpiece. And it's like a three minute montage of Groot. He comes Back like six, seven times. Yeah, it's to me, it's the same kind of humor that you put in a children's movie to entertain kids, where it's like, oh, it, it, it's almost like you know the the Nick Jr. shows where they're like, "Or <laughs> I'm looking for a hat. Is this a hat?" And she will like point at a table, and of course the kids be like, "No," and they would laugh. That's what it felt <laughs> like in this, where it's like, I'm an adult, and there are other adults watching this movie, and it it I, it would have been
0: good if it happened like twice
1: that's exactly what i thought but it 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 didn't just happen twice it was dragged on for like five minutes and it was to, to the point where like oh uh, what's what's Groot gonna bring back this time i'm guessing it's not the headpiece <laughs> oh it's not the headpiece am i supposed to laugh for the fifth time in a row at this same joke this joke that hasn't changed for five times it's just it's really frustrating that the the movie thought that these moments are funnier than they were. And so they would just harp on the same joke to the point to where I was just rolling my eyes waiting for the movie to continue.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a lot of negativity. Let's uh, briefly uh, go back over to some positives for a little while then we can finish up what we didn't like. Uh, what were some other things you did enjoy?
1: I love the art design of this movie. To me, it's the same reason that I'm really looking forward to Thor Ragnarok because this looks like it is totally embracing the Jack Kirby 1960s psychedelic comic book like the the design ego's Planet is super cool, and like the way like the whatever they're floating on and the way it kind of transforms into a ramp to walk off and these bubbles that like break up it's so cool to look at the visuals of this movie are legitimately great, and the c g i for the most part, works and it all—it's—it's it's just a really cool looking movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the, the use of just color and it just where Gunn just throws everything at the screen. I think sometimes to the film's advantage, sometimes to its detriment. But he's just—he's going for it, and just the the pictures he paints of space or a planet or a race—it's all just. It's never boring to look at. There's always something interesting to see. It's always visually engaging. The whole film just pops. It's a really gorgeous looking film.
1: Yeah, and I like how he he reminds us that that uh, Peter is a child of the '80s. Even with it's like the the entire galaxy is operating off of the idea that Peter's this child with the the uh, sovereign like their ships. It's essentially just an arcade game. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. And then uh, as they're they're making like the 27 jumps or however many it was, and we pull <laughs> out, and it's almost just like pinball as they're going through and even the sound effects. And, and, and then, of course, Peter just turning into a giant Pac-Man going at his father. Like, that really worked for me because, you know, when he's first told of what all he's capable of, he's like, man, I'm going to make some weird stuff. <laughs> like, I'm going to make a giant the statue of pac-man and this and that is it was exactly what peter quill would have done and so just with the music and the visual cues and the sound effects i like that they kept like this 80s theme
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and the music it never had that like one track like like that just sticks in your head you have to listen to a million times afterwards but it was good there was there was some there were a couple songs I bought. It's it's no nowhere near as good as the first, but there were some songs that uh definitely uh fit pretty well with with the tone of whatever scene they were. And I did cry a little bit with the uh, the father father and son song with uh uh Quill and Baby Groot together. I think that's where the father and son theme kind of I I think it does kind of work in that after all this crap that Quill's gone through with his daddy issues, it makes sense that he would want to step up and be the dad to baby Groot. At first, you kind of assume it would be... Of course, you think Rocky would kind of step up, but no, nah, he's, he's the big brother that gets everybody in trouble. He's, he wouldn't be a father, good father figure. So I like that Peter Groot through all uh, throughout all this and would be the one. And then, of course, with the, uh, the after-credits scene with the, the sulky teenage yeah. Groot, which is pretty funny.
1: I'm, I'm looking forward to wherever they take Groot next. That scene is funny. And it, what, what I do like about that is that they did kind of solidify peter as kind of like the the leader and almost if now that it's obvious that they're going for like the family dynamic in this that he's he's the the dad and that you know he did have to mature throughout his own story in this him dealing he had to deal with his own dad before he could be the dad to in the guardians of the galaxy and so that was To me, that was proper storytelling, where he's in order to fulfill the role that he's going to need to fill going forward. He had to deal with the issue, like the his own issues of this film, and I did think that that worked. And
0: as much as it sounded like a scene from a Fast and Furious film, when Gamora says, "You are not friends. All you ever do is yell at each other." Vin Diesel's in this movie. I half expected a crew to pipe up in Vin Diesel's grown-up voice. No, we're family, or something. But it it, it still worked in this in this uh, film itself. I'm just surprised that he uh, he actually went there, considering how popular the Fast and Furious films are.
1: And and on the subject of songs, what was the song that played whenever? Um, I, I think it was during like the final battle between Quill and his dad.
0: Uh, I'm not sure. I really.
1: Whichever- that that to me that was the closest the movie ever came to really like using a song to make the scene even more energetic and fun than it already was uh i think the,
0: the opening scene did a bit again it went on too long but yeah i i thought the, the opening scene was really fun
1: yeah i i did as well i you know the, i saw it with a bunch of friends a lot of people didn't really like it. They to me to them it felt too childish and goofy. I kind of got that after like it had happened on screen for a certain amount of time. To me, initially, like for the first few like titles, it was fun. I do think it went on a bit too long because it wasn't really adding anything at a certain point. You you almost reached the point of diminishing returns where it's like okay, Groot's been dancing for this long, but I. What I did like about the opening scene was it it got you back into the Guardians of the Galaxy vibe. You know, we've had a few Marvel movies since then and the tone has kind of shifted. You know, we just came off of Civil War, which is very much different from Guardians and just kind of having this giant alien battle and then we cut to Baby Groot dancing to 80s music. It was a I think that it did serve its purpose, which is to bring us back into this world that's exists in the same universe, but is its own thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I, I like how just if they felt like a real family, because everyone's like, hey, you see the baby? Is the baby okay? Kind of. is <laughs> like, get down. And then he waves, hi, which, was just, <laughs> was, which, is, which is how people really are with kids. It was, it was funny.
1: I did. I love that moment where he just kind of waves at Gamora and she's supposed to be mad at him, but she just kind of waves back. She says, hi. And then goes back to <laughs> fighting this giant alien. I for I I really did like the uh, I I really did love actually the first, um, I probably twenty minutes before they got to the planet. That's when I think the problems started to come. But everything before that, it 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 felt like we were back into the Guardians of the Galaxy.
0: Hmm. Okay, let's go back to the problems then. And <laughs> as you said, I really I, I did like the the whole design of the uh, the Sovereign. And how it was like all just an eighties arcade. Everyone was like standing around and watching the one last guy who's still alive. You it w- suck. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Except like everything else, they kept coming back. They 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 had no purpose coming back later on in the story. Literally, the only real reason they had to be there is you know to have that fun set up and opening to establish that the guardians are now work, kind of guns for hire, and. Sure, damage the ship, have them force them down, make them kind of rely on the father, on Ego. But they just like they keep cutting back to them. And it's like it's just so weird because we don't care about these people. These people have no emotional connection to our heroes. They're not even really a physical threat because they never actually hurt anyone. And it's just why did they come back in the climax? Isn't a living planet dangerous enough?
1: Th- that's what I thought, too. To me, it felt like, you know, it's going to be this this battle between Quill and Ego. And, you know, with, with Joss Whedon's advice of it's not to go bigger, it's to go deeper. To me, it's like James Gunn started to listen to that, but then he fell prey to the, okay, we got to go bigger. Because you could have had the climax just be between, like, Peter Quill and his dad. Or, like, the the entire Guardians and his dad. With Ego being an entire planet, like there's plenty of stuff, but we have to, we have to have a space battle. The climax has to have a space battle. So these people from the very beginning that we keep cutting back to for reasons, this is why, so that whenever Peter is fighting his dad, we can see spaceships whizzing by in the background. (laughs) It it, to me is just to pad the climax as if a living planet wasn't climactic enough. We have Mm -hmm. to have a space battle in the background it was really unnecessary and i i really to me her her inclusion in yondu's initial scene is another example of having a good moment a good solid moment and then the camera tilts to the right and we see her like walking tiptoeing on this this carpet this red carpet as it's being rolled out for her it felt like that part almost felt like a a monty python routine where it's is just this random bit of humor that wasn't really necessary and it did kind of undermine the emotional moment for yondu just before
0: the emotional and, moment that wasn't properly emotional because it wasn't set happening go on <laughs>
1: yeah th- this moment that already didn't quite work because it wasn't set up in the previous movie has now been further undermined by having this silly gold alien who shouldn't even be in the movie tipped up or tipped up tiptoe on this carpet being rolled out for her because I don't know. <laughs> they hold the grudge. Yeah.
0: And I have a lot of things written down. But I guess uh, to wrap up, um, I guess I'll combine my two last dislikes. Uh, one is that, uh, honestly, I found the entire climax kind of boring. Um, first and foremost, simply because there wasn't a lot of emotional stake. I mean, sure – I did love the moment when uh, Ego reveals that he killed his mother and just Quill instantly pulls his gun and just <laughs> blows him to bits. I think that, that, that's a great reaction, says a lot about his character. But after that, there was, like, there was like almost no emotional connection between the two. And not having a confrontation between the two father figures and not having the, that relationship play out, there wasn't a lot of emotional stakes. And then once Yondu turns into his planet, a planet's it's an interesting idea, but it's a very boring villain. It's just, it was just a lot of CGI just thrown at the screen and just, it never, it ne- never felt tangible or real. And we were talking about in the scores trials about well-paced action where each scene leads into another. This had none of that. It was just kind of just went on and on and things happened, And if other things happen, it was just black, just vomited on the screen. And there just was never a sense of danger in, ever in the film. Unless you're a bad guy, you're fine. If you're a bad guy, you're gonna die in horrible, gratuitous ways. But if you're one of the good guys, no one gets hurt at all ever. Like literally, Drax is dragged through a mile of forest, bouncing off tr- every tree, and he he stops and laughs. It's like there's there's no physics. There's no there's no danger ever. And the entire climax not a single one of our heroes gets even mildly injured. It's just you need to have a, set, a sense of threat. There's a, a literally a, a, a jo- they're fighting a planet that can do anything and no one gets hurt.
1: Why? Yeah, and and to me the battle should have been apart from them turning into these giant monsters or him turning into Pac-Man and him turning into this giant rock monster. Apart from that, there was no you you have a villain who can just do essentially whatever. He's, like you said, a lowercase g, God. And he's a planet. And you you don't do anything super visually interesting with that. It's the same criticism I had of a, a Green Lantern. Where it's like, this guy has this ring that could do whatever he wants. And he makes like a boxing glove and a machine gun. <laughs> like that That's the range of your creativity. Uh, and then my biggest complaint with the climax was... The exact same complaint I had with Suicide Squad, where it's this movie has been fairly self-contained to one location, not broad. It is con- and it, not even just self-contained in terms of area, but also contained in terms of characters and stories about these people. We get to the climax and all of a sudden it's like, well, now we're going to go huge with it. So in Suicide Squad, when it's cutting to this these lightning bolts cutting battleships in half, it's like, uh oh, look at how powerful the villain is. Like, you you're supposed to fear this villain, and we're gonna show you that by having this big destruction that feels disconnected from the rest of the movie. And so, you uh, like people died in case you didn't know that this was the bad guy. Here's some, you know, random bits of carnage, and then in this, it's like, uh oh, we're cutting to these other planets with these this blue blobs. Like, let's, let's be bigger than the story demanded. It just, it felt really weird where we were, it was all about this one planet and all about these one characters. And now we're seeing these these other people that we've never seen before, fleeing this blob that we've never seen before. And these planets that are literally like light years away from where we are. It It felt, there was no reason that any of that had to be included in this movie. It's just so distant from what we're seeing. And mm-hmm. like both in terms of, Narrative and physical, like it's just far away from the events. It felt un- like, unnecessarily big. Yeah,
0: it's it's literally the blue sky beam. Except in this film, it's a blue blob, and it's just as boring as a sky beam is. Hint, Hollywood. We don't
1: care. I, I would be. I'm much more invested in a showdown between two people without big visual effects. You know, mm. I, almost every good. Showdown. The best parts are always with the characters. We don't need a cut to these giant scenes of of CGI destruction.
0: I don't. That's not the biggest problem I have. I mean, because most blockbusters do do that. So, for the sake of being fair, I'm not going to harp on that too much. But I, one thing that did bother me is that the film had an odd mean streak to it. Like with the blue blob, James Gunn made sure he showed us that there are people being eaten by this thing. Just you got to know people. uh, uh, I mean from what he showed, a couple thousand people probably died. And it's just, in a blink of an eye, it's done, and we never go back to it. It's just, it's just, and then the whole stuff with the pirates, with the ravagers, there's an extended sequence where you get close up of a guy's face as he's flushed out of an airlock, and he slowly freezes to death. Why? What, what purpose did that have? Or the whole escape sequence, not not only does none of this have any relevance to the story, was like an entire like three, four minute scene of just one guy after another being skewered by an arrow and another guy and another guy and another guy. It's just like, and the camera's really enjoying it. It's just, uh, it was just, it felt really mean.
1: For me, I, I was, I'm more forgiving of like the people dying in the blue blob because to me, an issue I've had with Marvel is they're always willing to show destruction but never the actual, like, lives lost. It's like, oh, look, this car blew up. This building fell down, but everyone's fine. That person missed the rubble that fell. At least here, he's like, no, whenever big things happen, people do die. That's why you want it to stop. It's not just about damage to property. Um, so I'm okay with that. But with the scene with the Ravagers, first of all, showing, like, all of the bodies flying and being frozen, that was just tonally disconnected from the movie. Where it's like, this movie's been so fun and upbeat, and now they're, like, throwing people from an airlock. (laughs) This is These characters who've been played for just goofy laughs beforehand. Everything up until this point, they're literally there to overact and shoot scenery and be silly and zany in the background. Now they've just introduced the movie's darkest scene, and we're supposed to be like, these guys are bad guys. I can't believe what they're doing, and you know, with uh, I forget what what is the second in command's name? Craglin. Craglin, with him saying like they they killed my friends, like oh they, you know these are the bad guys. And then the next scene, you're doing it now. You're killing everybody with arrows. Like, <laughs> what makes? Why are you the good guy if if you're just going to turn around and literally kill the exact same number of people?
0: Every single person on that ship, like a hundred men, just like killed in one scene. It's just and it's and, and that entire scene is played for laughs it's it's, it's a visually cool scene but it's just, it's just it's just kind of disturbing
1: yeah it's it's done with excellent visual flair they're like the sh- the the top down shot of like tracking the arrow is all really cool but it's like he young do was the captain of these people in the last film and they seemed like they were a tight band of people and now literally every single person in his crew apart from crackling is now gone. And it was played for laughs. Like that's such a big change. That was just played for a goof. I I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you have any more issues before you start going go and finish off our positives?
1: <laughs> uh, I th- I think I'm ready to finish off our positives. Yeah. Um,
0: I guess the biggest positive of this entire film is, is this cast is fantastic. Everyone. Um, I did have Chris Pratt is like a walking chari- ball of charisma and charm and but the, what the, the film basically turns him into this wide-eyed gullible puppy for like 50% of his runtime and I I I pr- I think it was probably Gunn's direction. I I think he's a great actor. I think just the way Gunn directed him, it just it felt like he was overplaying a lot of his scenes. Um and I think I had the same issue with Nebula, so I'm thinking it was probably Gunn's direction rather than a problem with him as an actor. It's just, it felt like a lot, we're well, we going back to the negatives, but whatever. <laughs> it felt like he was overplaying a lot of his scenes, but still, he's still a, a very charismatic guy. I, I like every second I'm watching this person. And when he, it came time for the emotional moments, when Gunn wasn't ruining them with humor, he, he, can, he can pull it off. Like As said, the scene with him and Rocket... I mean, him and him and uh, Groot in the end as they're listening to the father and son song. It has, it's the perfect mix of drama and humor. It's, it's the kind of the cute humor is a little baby who wants to listen to your music, like we've all had. If we, but it's also just you know, you're thinking about all the father son all the father son stuff we've seen, and then kind of him accepting Groot as his kind of surrogate child. It's a really touching scene, and and I think uh, Pratt does a lot just with his face in that moment and throughout the film. He's, a, he's just a fantastic actor. Uh, Bradley Cooper as Rocket. He gets to do a lot of emotional range, whether the film earns it or not is another question, but <laughs> he gets a lot of emotional range and, uh all of them. Um, and even, uh, I I had a lot of issues with Karen Gillian. It's like she has two volumes. One is like this quiet, seething hatred. The other is yelling really loudly and just screaming. And it felt like there wasn't a lot of, it, I think, again, I think it's direction because I, I think, carrie gillian's a great actress but i like i did like when she was kind of just the quiet seething character and the way she would say her lines quietly i really liked what she did there
1: with, with chris pratt i you know every issue i did have with him in this movie i do feel like it's it's partly the direction just because i know he's a great actor and i do feel like he just he took things almost to the extreme too much like with uh the way he would react to things rocket did at the beginning he's like what you did that like it, <laughs> is, it felt a bit too like it it was over the top in comparison to his performance of the first one to me but even still he also does have great moments and i i really do like <laughs> i david hasselhoff tangent and all with the the funeral scene with yondu i Mm-hmm. I thought that he did really great with that scene um and multiple others and I liked a lot of his lines with uh ego and you know sometimes they did play him as almost too naive but I I still think that he did really well with what he was given yeah and then w- with Nebula I actually I I I like that she really only had two volumes where <laughs> she's like she's so bad at interacting socially with anyone else that she's either just trying to keep it all bundled in and like carry this this like creepy confidence and then if anything happens she just instantly flips the switch and just starts burst like just yelling and like she doesn't know how to just normally communicate um so i I actually liked her as a character like i said she uh, her and yondu were my two favorites and then just on performances just once again to go back to michael rooker he was he was yeah. awesome
0: yeah I, lo- I loved him from the first one as i said and he gets a lot of great emotional scenes here and then a lot of funny ones
1: A am mary poppins y'all and i love That's probably that may be my favorite line <laughs> uh star lord you can tell he's about to say something he's like yeah he's cool yeah it's like Hah. Mary Paul, like, there's already being, of course, memes being made about that scene, and yeah it, I, that's honestly one of my biggest disappointments is that they killed him, because I did like him a lot in the first, but now I I loved him in the second one, and now there's nowhere else you can take him. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and as uh, Zoe Aldana is really good, I I don't remember any any particular standout scenes, but she's always solid. Uh, Dave Bautista is Drax. He's I mean, he's really, really good with the comedy. Again, overplayed, but he—it's he never a, a problem from him. He is really fantastic, really funny. He doesn't get as he doesn't get as many emotional scenes as he, as he did in the first one, but he continues to impress me with his his acting ability.
1: Yeah, I, I think it was an interview I read where he was talking about how he acknowledges that he's not like a great actor, but he loves Drax because it just requires like physical comedy and overacting and stuff. But I think he's still even good when it does get quieter. He, I, I really liked his moment with Mantis where he's like, it's, it's good to be disgusting because if people love you, you know, it's real. I was like, well, that, was, <laughs> that was a nice profound moment from Drax. And I think it was well acted. Um, yeah.
0: I, so, I, I didn't need him like dry heaving at the thought of being with her, but uh, the, the, yeah, the final, was, the final moment where he's, he's a, uh, you're beautiful on the inside. That, that, that was like the perfect closeout to that joke without all the yeah. stuff in, in the middle. Yeah. And uh, of course, Kurt Russell, the guy is so charming and charismatic. I mean, he's, he's not really given anything of actual substance to do in the film, but he's so likable that you just want to watch him. So I just, when he's kind of going through these huge needless exposition dumps, it's fun cuz you're watching kurt russell do it and he, since he is playing up the 80s uh hero aspect to appeal to quill it it just it it all works really well when he's in his kurt russell mode i i really couldn't care less about him once he turns into a planet but when he's just being his goofy self it's it's really fun to watch
1: yeah to me kurt russell is one of the easiest actors to watch like you can give him bad dialogue or whatever but i just He's such an entertaining and captivating Actor Um, So that like when he it's just A five minute You know monologue About this This whole thing that we've never heard of Like with him and his whole plan It's Kurt Russell delivering it And it's it's entertaining and He's clearly Enjoying his like his part In this movie and There's there's really no way you can complain About him as an actor in my mind
0: and finally, I think the guy that actually gave me my most emotional moment in the film, Sean Gunn as Craiglet. I, I He we had a very small role in the first one, but I always loved his line, Cam's got to teach. <laughs> and now they, he is such a fantastic physical performer and he just he has like little flashes of, of comedy through the film. But also that, that moment in the end when all the Ravagers show up at the fireworks and he just like goes, yes, and does his salute. That that was the most emotional moment in the film for me, just because because you knew about his loyalty even from the first film, and now to see that his 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 boss got his due, it was really, it was actually quite touching.
1: Yeah, I I did like his character a lot, um, and I liked that moment because to me it was earned. Like he had a really good own like personal arc in this movie that had a, a good beginning and end with he accidentally started this mutiny you know none of this was his intention he's just unhappy with the way certain things are happening and then you're like like you know when he gives a line about how they killed his friends and he he feels bad for everything that he's done and he gets his essentially leads to a situation that causes yondu to die and then he sees that even though he died he was like by dying the way he did he was accepted by the ravengers and so he he gets that moment To be happy. That was a great moment in the movie.
0: Yeah, and I I hope they give him a bigger role in the future. It's always fun seeing him pop up in all of James Gunn's films. He he should work more. All right, so I guess I think about time to move into our final thoughts. You want you want to start?
1: Yeah. So this movie I found to be good, but it it didn't come close to the high that the first set. Um, I guess. one of the reasons that I still I, I still like it and I will still rewatch it is because it, it does work well, I think, as a sequel to the previous one. I think watching the first one in retrospect, I'll have a deeper appreciation for Yondu as a character and certain lines of that first one. And visually, it's, it's still fun. There's still visual moments in this, like everything that happens on Ego before the battle, that whole planet is... It's beautiful. It's this awesome 60s, colorful, vibrant visual effects and vibe and tone. And it's a fun movie. And so while I I can't help but be disappointed, I still enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And it's not like it was a bad movie. So I I still give it a positive review, and I will still watch it again and enjoy it.
0: Yeah. Just for me, I see story and pacing and structure as like integral to the quality of any film and so when i see a film that fails so, so badly on so many uh integral core plotting levels it really diminishes my my ability to connect because i think emotion has to be earned you can't just give us a scene and ho- and expect us to connect to it we have to be we have to be brought into it by from scenes leading up to that. And then that scene has to be well played out. And this film just, just goofs it up so many times that it's a miracle that the scenes were as emotional as they were with how botched the storytelling was, I think. And I guess a testament to James Gunn's love for these characters that any of these scenes worked at all. And they did. A lot of them did work. I was emotionally moved a couple times throughout this film. And as you said, it does what a sequel should. It, it deepens the characters It exp- and in retrospect makes moments in the first film better. That's a huge plus for a sequel. Um, and it's, it, it is just so joyful and fun and just exuberant throughout that. I, you, it's impossible to dislike this movie with just how pleased it is with itself and how happy it is just with the world it's created and its characters. You can't really dislike it. it it's, and it's, And It's just an entertaining, engaging movie that unfortunately isn't nearly as powerful as it could and should be based on what it gives us with these characters. I think if he had just... If he had either had a co-writer or just stopped... Because I think this plot could have worked if you had had Nebula's arc come back to where maybe she comes back at the last minute and saves them from and saves them in a moment in the climax and had a yanduke connect with them sooner and had his his moment with Sylvester Stallone later in the narrative after being properly set up and just little tweaks here and there could have taken the existing story and made it so much more powerful and made every one of those emotional moments like be a complete gut punch i could Imagine if all the emotional scenes were the same with just this, the packaging them around them being different. Me weeping like a baby like three or four times throughout this movie. As it is, it's colorful. It's funny. There's some not bad action scenes. Uh, the cast is all giving it their all and they're all fun. It's just as a whole, I find it pretty mediocre. Um, I, Honestly, I put it down with uh, Thor, the dark world and Iron Man Two. just, above those two i mean that that, that's because i love all the marvel movies so this one is lower down where where, where does it land in your rankings
1: yeah it's to me it would probably be i mean i guess it in the the upper half or the the upper portion of like the bottom quarter i don't know i don't know (laughs) why i had to make that confusing but just (laughs) bottom five yeah probably around there what are we at like 15 now
0: I don't know. It's a lot.
1: Yeah, I think like number ten. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it definitely doesn't rank in the upper tier, though.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, people seem to be enjoying it. And so, for, my only fear is that the critical success this film is having will make Gunn think that he doesn't have to do any work on plotting of the next film. I, I, I'm, I, I kind of hope cause, I'm rooting for Gunn. I like Gunn's other films. I think he's a he's a good director and he's a great writer. And so I I, I it breaks my heart to say this is bad cuz this is this was like my most anticipated film this year. So I, I'm definitely rooting for the guy and I want him to direct the third one. I just hope I'm hoping this movie makes like a significant chunk less money so he has to go back and refocus on just telling a good story and just making a more focused and coherent narrative because I think he has it in him because he did a fantastic job. I think the narrative of the first one is pretty brilliant and just how how economical and tight and focused it is. So, I don't hate this film. I know it sounds like we did, but I, I don't. I liked a lot of parts in it, and I, I, I want to see a sequel. I want to see Gunn take these characters on their journeys because ultimately, if the characters don't work, the film doesn't work, and the characters do work, so I want to continue watching.
1: I mean, I, I'm definitely with you. I don't... <laughs> I don't wanna wish ill upon movies, like especially ones that I do still enjoy, but I do share that fear where if this works critically and financially, they're not gonna feel like there's problems that need even need to be addressed, and to me, just there were very like apparent problems that I do think need to be addressed, so I'm, I'm hoping it still does well. Obviously, it's, I think it's already greenlit for a third one.
0: Yeah, he's already signed but, on.
1: And so I, I hope he looks at what made the first one work so well and the things that did work and didn't work with the second one. And really, if it's going to be a trilogy, I really hope he's able to bring everything he's learned from the process of creating these two and just really make you know the third one be the best. I'm, I'm rooting for him as a person. He seems like a great person. Like he's funny and he's passionate about these characters. So I wish him all the best of luck. Um, so I, I really do. I'm rooting for the third one.
0: Yeah. And a lot of my disappointment with this is because I love the MCU so much. Civil war was, um, my favorite film last year. And I personally, I think that is a a brilliant, a piece of like film structuring. So, Coming off of that and going to this, it's it's pretty shocking for me. Uh, yeah. So, uh, well, that was our review of uh, *Guardians of the Galaxy* Volume Two. If anyone is still listening and you like this movie, thanks for putting up with us.
1: <laughs> We're just talking to each other at this point. Yeah.
0: Hello. <laughs> um. So, if if anyone is still listening and don't hate us by now, actually, you know, I, I'm almost afraid to uh, ask for iTunes reviews now because we're just going to get a bunch of hate oh well if you enjoyed this show please go and uh, give us a five-star rating on itunes and uh, leave a few words it'll help us a lot although nobody wants to help us anymore all right and uh if you want to find other episodes you can find them at underratedpodcast.com and if you want to follow us you can like us on facebook we are there as Underrated Podcast.
1: We also have an email. If you want to email us, we are podcast at gmail.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at underrated underscore pod. So whichever way works best for you.
0: All right. And uh, uh, next will be our regularly scheduled episode, which will be Man from Uncle to uh, match up with the coming release of King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, which I'm excited for in spite of myself because I love Guy Ritchie. So I I am definitely looking forward to talking about that. That will be a very much more positive review than this one.
1: I was going to say, if you like that movie, then definitely listen to this one. Because I am going to have almost no notes on my negative portion of the movie. And I'm just going to talk about how much I love it.
0: And if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor and go watch it. It's one of the funnest movies I've ever seen. (laughs) Alright, so uh, we hope you enjoyed this mini-sode review of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and we will see you later. See ya.
1: God. go.